Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Schaffner, and today I'm thrilled to introduce my new team member and colleague, Dr. Eric Shane. We're going to be talking about using modern tools for modern illnesses, how to integrate alternative procedures and strategies for optimal health. A bit about Dr. Eric. Dr. Eric specializes primarily in integrative oncology and neuroinflammatory conditions, seeing patients with cancers of all types and conditions such as MS, fibromyalgia, fluoroquinolone toxicity, and post-concussive disorders and strokes. His journey with integrative care began over a decade ago where family members had to overcome very serious health conditions and heavily utilize natural healing methods. Immediately out of medical school, he began to work alongside Dr. Paul Anderson, where he assisted in the care of chronic illnesses, including chronic infections and cancers of all types. Having administered thousands of IVs, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, laser and photobiomodulation techniques, and hypertherapia treatments, Dr. Eric has been privileged to see the effectiveness of the interplay of intensive procedures working alongside and with behavior and lifestyle changes. His professional and personal life mission at this point is to educate patients and the public in general that there is a better way when it comes to your healthcare and that there are many underutilized tools to use, even with those patients that have seen doctor after doctor without answer. We can find a way, and there's a better way. He can be reached at his clinic and alongside Dr. Schaffner at Eminence Health in Seattle or at Bastyr University Center for Natural Health, where he is a clinical supervisor for IV therapy. So please enjoy today's episode with Dr. Eric Shane. Welcome everyone to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm thrilled to have my new colleague and team member, Dr. Eric Shane on the podcast today. So welcome, Dr. Shane. It's really an honor to have you here. Yeah, it's, 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 I'm so excited to be with this. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to to continue to get to know you. And as we have just really embarked on working together, I know I'm going to learn some more things about you during this podcast, which I'm super excited about. And we're going to be really talking about how we can use modern tools for modern illnesses and really how to integrate alternative procedures and strategies for optimal health. You know, I always kind of start the stage with these podcasts, especially as people are getting to know you and my community. I'd love for you before we kind of get into that topic, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your personal journey. Uh, We're both naturopathic physicians and we both really have had training and expertise in chronic illness. And then you also bring to eminence the naturopathic oncology perspective. So I just, I would love for people to get to know you. So how did you um, become a naturopath? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's a common trope in any type of person who's in a healthcare profession um, that it was an illness that brought us in. We were kind of observing the people around us either suffering and being helped or suffering and not being helped. And you kind of see an opening where you want to, you know, immerse yourself to try and fill that gap or continue something that you saw that was amazing. And I think I saw both of those scenarios play out and family members and then later with myself, which we'll get to. So the first case was that it was an illness, right? My sister, uh, she developed this rather rare type of uh, cancer kind of a uh, blood tumor, an arterial venous malformation. It doesn't fall within classical cancer diagnoses, but it's like a tumor that's made out of blood vessels. And typically they're found in people's brains, but hers was wrapped around her left ilium. And it was very large. By the time we found it, it was debilitating. She wasn't able to walk. And, you know, she was in crutches for a while. And at that point, the algorithm kind of failed us. You know, it was 
you can't do chemo, you can't do radiation on these things, and surgery um, is really dangerous because it's part of her vasculature. And the you know, probability that she would have bled out on the table was very, very high. And so this is a, at the time, she was a young, in her early 20s, being told, like, we don't know if this is going to advance, whether it could rupture, whether you're going to be able to have children and or be able to walk normally. And so these really weren't, we had no other options but to kind of look elsewhere. And so we did. And that kind of brought us into this entire holistic world. And she was able to get her diet under control and we saw holistic uh, experts. And my entire family was brought in full force. My father and my sister both became uh, nutritional therapy practitioners. Oh, wow. His master's in holistic nutrition. Like we dived in. <laughs> and like at the time I was supposed to like, be on this track to go to law school and and then I was just like hey we're all just making ourselves better and eventually you know miraculously my sister she you know the tumor started to shrink and it got to a manageable size and you know this wasn't supposed to happen nobody expected this and you know just four months ago she had her second kid you know it was just like this huge journey that brought us over when I was in the throes of this my father this gives you some perspective on my family um, for a family vacation, he sent us to the Western A. Price Foundation's annual conference. Um, <laughs> and if you don't know anything about Western A. Price, he is a, uh, a dentist in the early 1920s who basically found out that if you use food, uh, real good food, and rely upon things like fermented foods and, and good fats, people get healthier and they have near perfect bone structure and, and all of these things. So it's an organization which tries to encourage bringing back those elements. And so when I was there, I first encountered my first naturopath. And I had only thought they were certificate holders. And I realized, no, they're real doctors. And they can do so many things. And I saw them speak. And I was blown away by the caliber and the quality of what they were talking about and the things they were doing with patients. And I was like, I want to do that. And so next thing you know, I'm in that best year. And you know, you just learn how to do it. And then I've been privileged to have multiple mentors get me to this point. And, and now I'm with you. I, I love that. And I, I didn't even ask that question as part of our formal interview process. So I had no idea that um, impactful journey that you've been on and just, you know, what, you know, a gift, right? It's like we, even in these like really seemingly traumatic moments or really uncertain moments or, you know, as they could have had a very different trajectory, you know, it's like your whole family came together and, you know, this was, you know, your sister throughout her healing process put you on your path, right? So what a... Mm -hmm wonderful uh, gift. And, you know, one of your mentors, Dr. Paul Anderson was on uh, the podcast recently, and he's been a mentor of mine as well. And I know Paul learned a lot from him and he did a great job talking about his recent books. So, so yeah, no, it's, it's a small community, a small world, right? So well, let's dive in. So you have really found a niche in treating uh, chronic illness. And when we talk about chronic illness, you know, it's really kind of where I stand and looking at the the modern day illness where I would say Lyme is a good umbrella term, you know, to kind of the entry point for patients who have seen a lot of people, tried a lot of things, not gotten very far in conventional world. And then Lyme gives them kind of this whole opening to look at, okay, maybe there's an infectious mediator, maybe there's environmental toxicants, um, looking at epigenetic influences, uh, trauma even, and kind of opening up to, um, to that, like, okay, there, there's something more here than just a uh, lack of Prozac or lack of whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we we both have connected in that community. And then also, of course, through your background and through your training, you've also found, you know, a niche with um, supporting 
patients with cancer with naturopathic oncology therapies and supportive modalities. And so when you think about it, like what are some of the ways that you fill in the gaps in people's healthcare when it comes to integrative care, when you look at these two patient populations and how you approach, you know, where they need the most support? And it kind of goes back to the start, which is that missing piece that I think we've kind of all become accustomed to. You know, in our parents' generation, I think it was very, you know, you went in, you saw your doctor, and you did what your doctor told you to do. And we're finding out that the traditional algorithms don't really apply. If you break your leg, if you have a heart attack, you, you want to be part of our system. We're really good at that. But the gap is in what happens after you leave the hospital? Where's the repair? Where's the continuity? And that's where a lot of people really fall through the cracks. And even with your primary care provider, who's supposed to be filling that role, I think there's there's still a, a huge, huge piece, especially in these chronic illnesses. And you know, when we're we're dealing with infections and we're dealing with chronic cancers, like a lot of the traditional things that we use, they just don't fall into these categories. And so you really need a person to be able to kind of decipher through the noise, especially when people go out and try and figure out themselves what they're supposed to be doing. It's it's overwhelming. And so having somebody who can bridge that space between what's appropriate conventionally and kind of quiet out all the noise and everything else, I think that's a huge piece of what I do. It really comes up in especially cancer care, in the integrative oncology space. There is so much out there and a lot of it. I mean, we, we've seen it. <laughs> We've seen people doing the, the, the crazy type of nutrient therapies, taking, you know, things, purchasing things from India and saying, oh, this is going to work. And it's like, no, we, we know that these things don't work. Let us, let's answer these, those questions for you. Let's, let's guide you in the right direction. And so it, it it's very condition based too. So treating Lyme and deciphering the best strategy for that is very different than deciphering what the best thing is for your particular type of cancer that you have. But it's surprising, we were talking about this earlier, there's overlap <laughs> in a lot of these therapies because in modern illness, we're kind of seeing similar themes. And so that's, I think, where we can use similar tools and integrate that in to a variety of different conditions because wellness is, is just getting the body back in alignment, right? And so if you fall out, we have some of these tried and true approaches that can get people back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So picking and choosing which ones are best is is kind of what I, I love to strategize. And it's kind of different from person to person, but it's fun being able to strategize and tailor an approach for somebody using those tools. Yeah, and I, I love that. And it's, you know, in this information age, right, it's just amazing because it's like, you know, I'm all for people having access to more information and to you know, not being satisfied maybe with the answer that they're getting from the conventional paradigm, especially when it's around chronic illness. And so there's so much information, right, to try to uncover what's at the root and then also all these treatment modalities. But I think you and I, where we connect and where we really try to support patients is how do we prioritize and individualize and how do we create kind of a roadmap for that patient? Of course, healing isn't linear, it's dynamic, and it's a process, and it's you know, not perfect in every and all that, but there is this, you know, I, I see my role as really, you know, a guide and a facilitator and a connector, you know, um, based on my experience and my knowledge. And so I'm curious when you 
you know, when you approach a new patient and you really kind of think about, okay, many patients that come to see you have tried a lot of things, seen a lot of people, where do you start? Like, how do you start them in this kind of process in this new way of thinking? So in, it depends upon the condition always, right? You have different starting places and different priorities. And so I'm dealing with somebody who is along the lines of, you know, they've seen every single doctor, they don't have cancer, but they're very ill. They're, they're, they're running up against kind of a wall dealing with chronic infections or just feeling fatigued. And nobody's really been able to get to the root of what's going on. Maybe there was an incident that happened years ago, like some infection, and they just never fully recover. In, in those instances, it's they really fall into a category, which uh, I love it. One of my mentors, her name is Mandy Gula, she terms it parainfectious illnesses or parainfectious syndromes. And somebody's body has completely changed. And the immune signaling pathways, the inflammatory signaling pathways, they're just not working as adequately as they were before. And so where you start with somebody like that is you start with what works, what has worked, what hasn't worked, and you see what's left. <laughs> and then you also have to identify um, what has been missing. The kind of trajectory that I go with every single patients is I just tell them point blank is something's going on and mm-hmm. it's likely inflammatory. So we need to go inflammation. <laughs> you know, that that's where we start lifting up the, the covers on the different aspects of somebody's health, which is we're looking at your infectious kind of space. You're looking at your heavy metal burdens. If that's something we need to look at, we're looking at your metabolism. There's all these different tools that we can look at to identify what's going on and what could be explaining your symptoms. Now, we don't do those all at once, typically. We certainly can. It saves a lot of time. I wish everybody could do that. Because <laughs> so we're like, we're going to do all of this at once. And then we see, oh, all these things are going. And let's strategize and prioritize which direction we're going to go at. Um, sometimes I advocate that. If somebody's really been struggling for a long time, it's like, we need to see everything. Okay. Um, because otherwise, we can play this game of, let's look at one lab at a time. And eight months later, we finally find the thing that we could have just found out right away. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's always a game with finances as well, trying to work out what's going to be best and most effective for a patient. But it, it really is that process. It's, it's detective work every single time you try to figure it out. And mm-hmm. I feel that your clinical experience always comes into play when you're kind of discerning which direction to go in. But I've always been, mm-hmm. you know, I don't say always, but I am surprised sometimes. Really what the culprit sometimes is that is driving something, whether it's a current lead exposure that we didn't know about, or if it was an underlying infection that was never really addressed, or was it neuroinflammatory? Find out that, oh, your gastrointestinal issues are because of concussion you had when you were 14. That was never treated. You know, that's, that's very well documented and verified. So sometimes it really does involve just doing that really excellent history, too, and you can find out things. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of give you a bit of a sense. Yeah, no, no, I think that's great. And then highlights, you know, gets people's wheels turning and you know, thinking. And, you know, I had a mentor who taught me nothing's random in the body, right? And I mm-hmm. think that, you know, we're always coming from that detective uh, perspective. And you know, what are the root causes? Often there are many, um, but it's like, how do we kind of unpack and layer and support? And I know you and I connect in our naturopathic principles and philosophies and coming from that perspective, like, the body is always trying to move towards health, right? And so what are the things that are in the way? And many of the things that are shared are those things that are in the way that are, and once we address, the body can take over, right? 
um, like your sister, right? It's like no one probably just, you know, went and extracted her tumor. It's like all of this, all of this work that she did, her body was like, okay, I, I can handle this. I can deal with this after offloading, you know, the stress, you know, so I know, I think that's a lot of great points, Eric. And then, you know, one of the fun things that we also connect with in this emerging field, right? We have these, you know, we have our traditional naturopathic therapies that I still use that are very foundational. And then we have a lot of exciting tools, things to integrate to help accelerate people's healing and help them to get back on track and people who are watching the video. Um, but that's not just a Apple watch, you know, what, 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 what do you have on your wrist there? Uh, this is one of my favorite things. So this is a Weber laser medical device. So it's an LED watch and you can kind of see here. So the red is the one that's showing up most on the camera, but it's actually several diodes on here. So it's emitting red, yellow, blue, and green lights. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we put it strategically over the wrist. It can technically go anywhere. I can take this off and put it on my neck or over areas where I want the, the light to be penetrating. But we put it over the wrist primarily because the skin is really thin here. And we have this wonderful, it's called a venous plexus right here, where there's a whole bunch of blood pooling. And so I'm simultaneously irradiating the skin, but it's also going into the blood cells and the red blood cells or white blood cells they have photoreceptors that absorb this light, these frequencies, and that has downstream signaling pathways that are activated. We'll go into more into detail if you want to about that. So it has a systemic effect kind of throughout the entire body. So this, this I have to be careful with. <laughs> if I use the watch for too long, like I get too much energy, like too much energy. <laughs> and so like it's, it's a Friday, I can, I can actually be doing this. Really <laughs> right now. Yeah, this is, this is what this tech is. Yeah, love it, love it. No, I, that's one of the most exciting fields. I think um, our therapies that we have access to is this incorporation of light, right? And how light can just be—it's such an effective therapeutic. And so we have the watch. And then, what are some ways that you also work with light in your practice? So heavily utilize this technology right here. Um, the watch is one piece. This also has attachments that are available in a pad and nostrils and also earbuds. And mm -hmm. so it's the same exact type of mechanism, but you're just getting these different membranes that you're irradiating and those have uh, wonderful effects for anti-inflammation, for supporting energy, um, supporting mitochondrial health as well. And the other ones are primarily, well, we have an LED helmet, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. You're getting a similar penetration actually through the cranium and you're going to the distal portions of your brain. So you're increasing circulation, helping with inflammation there. So that's wonderful for post-stroke or post-concussion and neuroinflammatory conditions in general. So that's also been studied in things like Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, um, even mood disorders too. So it's really, really exciting to begin employing that. Um, you look like you're just wearing a helmet, like a electric helmet, except you're <laughs> shining light into your brain. Uh, it's, it's super mm -hmm. exciting. I, I like using that one just personally for just a mental edge because mm -hmm. like, I feel like my vision improves. Like I just feel sharper and more on it. Uh, I should be wearing yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you should be on brand, right? You know, <laughs> the lid on camera. The thing that we have with the intravenous therapies, uh, but that's probably the, the mm -hmm. biggest part of my background and the greatest piece of this tech that I employ. And it sounds a little strange to, I'm sure, your viewers to hear about that, but basically, it entails using a multicolored fiber optic that we thread directly into somebody's vein and. As your blood is circulating, you're getting a frequency of light that is touching essentially every single tissue in your body because your blood is carrying that signal through your body. 
So in the tradition, I'm sure some of your viewers know about ultraviolet blood irradiation. Mm-hmm. That's been used. And that was, that's been used for a long time, even before the age of penicillin. That's how we would kind of treat infections. Uh, so, so long-standing therapy that now we just are really getting fine-tuned with. That one is, I think, so much more superior to the ultraviolet light uh, kind of irradiation because you're irradiating the entire blood supply, not just what is taken out of your body. And you get to do it several times a minute. So yeah. it's, it's, it's really profound and powerful. Um, in my practice, when I'm using those therapies, um, we're using it with chronic infections. We're using it in the inflammatory conditions. We're using it with our patients with cancer. And, you know, in all of our like most powerful, profound cases, um, they always had laser in common. And, it, you know, it speaks to a piece of things that I think that we don't fully understand yet. You know, we, we talk about seasonal affective disorder as this kind of a widely accepted phenomenon that people can get kind of sad during the winter months when the light goes away. And, you know, we chalk it up to maybe vitamin D and our circadian rhythm getting these light signals. But, you know, potentially this is just me conjecturing, you know, there is something probably known as light deficiency and our body craves it and we need it. And using it as a healing modality is something that even with this, when we look at it across the board, there is an outrageous safety profile and profound effects. So it's it's like, why not? Why not incorporate these things? Let's see how far we can use them and how much progress we can get with people. Um, so I'm, I'm still tickled every single time people get profound effects from it. And, and I absolutely love bringing this on board with patients and patients love it, which is the other thing, like how, putting light in your veins. It's just, it's just so cool. So. <laughs> I know it's the future of medicine, right? And mm-hmm. you know, when I think about it too, it's like, we're, we're wired, right. To receive light, you know, and I think just as much as we got all the, you know, biochemical pathways that we all study and the functional medicine that we all study. Um, I think we're doing a disservice to, you know, allowing our treatments to work the most optimally if we don't acknowledge like this ability for our body to receive light to turn on uh, pathways and energy and, you know, healing. So I, I agree. And this is something that I'm just so excited to continue to learn and explore with uh, you being in the practice and um, all of that good stuff. So then Eric, what about, what are some other, um, you know, tools or therapeutics in your toolkit when you treat a patient? Of course, we have all our naturopathic therapeutics. There are kind of broad categories that we have placed those into. Of course, we have herbs. Of course, we have diet. We have nutrition. We have high-dose vitamin therapies, whether oral or intravenous. We have, of course, medications. Some medications, not all medications are bad. <laughs> you got to get that right off the table. Uh, I love when people are like, you're a naturopath, so you just give weed to people. And it's like, no, I'm not one of those doctors. Yeah. <laughs> we use medications. And some are really, really powerful and amazing, and they can be used rather elegantly. And so they have their place. Um, beyond that, heavily utilizing, of course, um, the laser therapies, but my, I love IV therapy. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that earlier, but that is, that is a huge part of my practice. I have been privileged to see just how much progress you can make just by putting nutrients into people. I mean, it's, it's one of those pieces where you're just like, if you get the body what it needs and you take out the stuff that's slowing it down, mm-hmm. um, the body really wants to be in a position where it's healing. And how you layer those and which tools you use to get that desired effect is where the art kind of comes into play. Mm -hmm. And the cool piece is that those therapies 
pair really, really well with the laser therapies. In fact, the kind of the field of laser therapies has really shifted in the last 10, 15 years, where rather than kind of identifying these different pathways that are activated by different light frequencies, we're looking for really how we intensify the effect of these light therapies. Mm. So many things that we can take in intravenously are what we call photosensitizers. And so we combine those together often with light therapies and just get a much more profound effect. Um, so that's just laser light. There are specific tools which I heavily utilize in my IV therapies. Of course, we use high-dose vitamin C for a lot of things. Uh, that's kind of made its way into the public consciousness about what that is used for. It's used for chronic infections. We use it in cancer support as well. And then the probably the other broad category that I use are antioxidant therapies. So things like alpha-lipoic acid, glutathione, and something known as polyMVA. PolyMVA in the literature is known as lipoic acid mineral complex, mm -hmm. and it is a molecule which we kind of term a mitochondrial rescue therapy, where it contains all the constituents that make up the mitochondrial matrix for creating ATP. And I find that that is at the root of so many chronic illnesses, whether we're talking about cancer, whether we're talking about chronic infections. If you're struggling on your chronic illness path, that's an energy problem for me, fundamentally. And so as much as possible, supporting your cellular metabolism, your mitochondrial metabolism is a foundational therapy. Um, and so that is, is utilized heavily in my practice. And I used to kind of not use it <laughs> as much as like, I would be like, oh, let me try these other types of therapies or let me give you oral supplements. And when I started using poly, people just started getting better faster, like, like way faster. We're talking like if you, if you had spent like a year and a half with me and we were playing with, you know, different, let's try this supplement or let's try, let's try this combination of things. The second we brought in poly MVA, like people were making bounds of improvements, like entire stepwise increases in quality of life in a very short period of time, like talking weeks for some people, like two months for some people. And in that world, that's kind of, to me, unheard of to, to kind of see people really bounce back that fast. So I'm like a broken record <laughs> when it comes to poly in our office. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I can't talk enough about that. I just did a, another webinar for Poly and VA, the owners of Poly, uh, just was this November. And it's, I'm not paying for this amount of shill. <laughs> I just, I believe in that product so much. Yeah. That's, that's a huge piece. Um, mm -hmm. The other piece of my practice, just to wrap it up, is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Yeah, yeah that's uh, something that is very, very powerful. Use that for a, a lot of different things. That pairs also very, very well with my cancer folks, my neuroinflammatory folks, and my chronic infectious folk. There's there's typically a place for hyperbarics. Awesome. I, I'm sure people who are listening are going to be like, okay, this poly-MBA thing. So how, because <laughs> um, especially with the results that you're getting. So you said that, you know, like in an ideal world, right? Um, if you see a new patient and you find that poly-MBA is a tool for them, like how would you like dose that? What would be the frequency would you just use it IV, but there's also injectable or oral? Like, mm -hmm. I'm sure some people who are listening or just wanting that level of detail. Yeah, yeah. So let's get that. Poly MVA, you, you really do kind of want to work with the provider first and foremost. You you can purchase it directly from them. That's an option for you. Um, if you are doing it intravenously and with shots, you really need to know what you're doing because um, that's a whole process. And they, your doctor should be trained in how to administer that. 
because you can run into issues with intravenous usage of it um, because of how it changes your metabolism and some pieces of um, your detox pathways, especially. And that can be cumbersome and difficult for especially sensitive and very ill people to deal with. The the oral forms, they the basic kind of overlying lying trend of these things, the oral is just slower and it takes a little bit more time than intravenous does. So if I want somebody to be feeling better a lot faster, I use the, the intravenous forms. If it's the oral forms, you have to dose it pretty high and you have to dose it for a fairly long period of time in order for you to get kind of these robust effects. And this is something that you have to taper up to dose with. And if you go to PolyMVA, they have recommended dosing strategies for what you are looking for. So I recommend that people do do that to see kind of what category they fall into. But typically you're getting to about two teaspoons twice a day at your max dose. Mm-hmm. And some people can experience, again, similar detox reactions whenever they are taking this. And that can look like gastrointestinal upsets. They can feel a little bit of flushing in their skin. So it's, it's nice to be able to have somebody on your side who knows how to manage that, that happens. And it also has a mild vasodilatory effect. So people can feel like, ooh, I'm a little, I'm a little woozy on it. And so if those instances are occurring, I'm just always advising people just go slow with this therapy, you know, build into tolerance and, and hopefully we'll see you get to that higher dose where you're really noticing it take effect, um, where you're getting these, Symptomatic improvements typically in energy. If there's neurological issues as well, I see people get a lot of benefits from that. Um, so I use this heavily with like, my fibro and MS and concussion patients as well. I, I hope that's enough detail for people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Um, yeah, no, that gave people enough to hang on to. And I'm sure they'll, um, you know, find either more information or come see you, right? You know, you can walk them through that. And then with hyperbaric, people might be there. They might have heard of hyperbaric. There's the hard chamber, the soft chamber. There's the ability to own one at home. Like, where do you usually start with hyperbaric? So hyperbarics, it's really interesting when you look at the literature surrounding hyperbarics. And you have to do a lot. <laughs> you have to do a lot to get kind of the traction that we're looking for, for certain types of conditions. So I'll start with some people, if you're trying to really address post-stroke or post-concussion type therapies, where we can run a brain scan on you and we can actually look, oh, here's where the deficit is in your brain. And mm-hmm. using hyperbarics with spec imaging, we can see that after 20, 40, 60 sessions, we're actually able to change that terrain and create new synaptic firings. Very, very exciting stuff. We used to think mm-hmm. that once you damage the brain, there's no way it can round it or healing that tissue. And hyperbarics is proving to be a strategy with which we can actually make some, uh, we can regain some of that function. So really, mm-hmm. really exciting things. And so for individuals that are on that path, it, it's pretty straightforward. We're going to do 20 sessions and see if we get an improvement. And mm-hmm. we can measure before and after to see that effect. Mm-hmm. In the instances where we're looking at people getting benefits from it in conditions like chronic infections or even in cancer therapies, the research is a little, we're building that space up right now. And in those instances, we're looking at hyperbarics as a way to do very similar things as what it's doing in concussion and in, in stroke patients, but it's it's working at a different type of milieu, really. You're mm-hmm. working on inflammatory pathways, and you're super oxygenating the body, and you're creating pressure. Mm-hmm. So hyperbarics, we, we like to think that it's about the oxygen, and that's a part of it, but mm-hmm. really the other part of the treatment is the pressure. 
there's something very interesting that happens at an epigenetic level that is giving you the sustained effect that makes hyperbaric very useful. And so even if people are not able to do the frequency that you get with some of these 20, 40 session therapies, you're still getting a sustained effect that can be really, really useful in the instance of the chronic infections in autoimmune when people are experiencing flares, especially in their illness. This is something that quiets people down. Mm-hmm. One of the more interesting things, and I almost use this as a, as a tool clinically whenever I'm evaluating different treatment mm-hmm. protocols is I'm going to put you in hyperbarics and depending upon how you feel when you come out tells me about the pathways that we're hitting and how gentle and how intense we can be with you. If you're reacting really strongly to hyperbarics, that tells me you're a very sensitive patient and we really have to open things up. If you go into hyperbarics and you feel better, like you fell asleep in the chamber and you just like really enjoyed the experience, like that tells me a lot about how you really probably need this therapy. It's, it's really recuperative for you. And also probably that you're not getting really good sleep at night because you being able to fall asleep, like it pushes you to deep sleep very quickly. And so that was your body was craving. There's so many if or if this, then do that type of instances with hyperbarics. Um, it's kind of hard to distill right now because I'm yeah. talking about that loud. But in chronic infections, basically, you layer it in. It doesn't have to be as frequent as you would if you were really trying to push back something. But it, it, it's foundational for me in some people's illnesses to be able to get them that boost in energy, that anti-inflammatory effect. And it's up to the patient, basically, and especially finances. That's a reality that ails mm-hmm. And time um, to be able to figure out how we're going to pulse it. So if I'm dealing with somebody, I can assign an IV therapy protocol, combine it with hyperbarics, and we, we layer those together typically, where you'll do maybe one or two IVs a week, and we'll start with one or two hyperbarics a week, and we'll see what that does for you. And the hope is that after a six-week period of doing that, you are symptomatically much more improved. You're in a different kind of strata of your illness where you now have more energy if you were crashing at two in the afternoon and you really just didn't have that much focus now you're crashing at five in the afternoon like when everybody else does when they get back from work it's it's a change in your life you kind of transition to a different category and so both of those tools have a place for people like that Mm -hmm. great explanation and great way to um share how you individualize because I mean I you know see a lot of sensitive patients. I, I tend to attract sensitive patients. And you know, I always also share like with hyperbaric when we decide we're gonna embark on that, like you should feel better, right? And if you're feeling worse, you know, it could be like a timing thing or as I'll learn from you, you know, like how do we make sure more pathways are supported so that can be something that feel better from and not, you know, crashed um, from. And so and then, you know, with a lot of the dental work that we do, right? And um dental healing, I think um, hyperbaric can have a role in helping to heal post-surgically and post, um, you know, cavitation work or dental, you know, root canal extraction just to help heal the health and create healthy bone, you know, in the jaw. And I loved what you said, Eric, about the pressure, because that, that's an interesting, my mind was going to like, hey, it's probably like moving fluids in the body and kind of creating flow and circulation because a lot of our patients have such often thick blood or congested lymph. And so um, I haven't thought about it from that angle. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's the pressure is a really powerful aspect too, because you need, you need the depths of oxygen in order to really get the super oxygenation that you need at different tissue compartments. Mm -hmm. So 
one of the things that I absolutely refer people for is hyperbarics and cancer, especially cancer patients that have bone metastases. These patients, they, you think about having metastases to your bone, it's a very uncomfortable experience, very painful. And opiates sometimes don't even touch that. Like these people are walking around and sometimes the last months of their life and it's excruciating and deep hyperbarics with supplemental oxygen sometimes cuts that in the bud. Like it just, it just takes it away. It's like been privileged to see that more than a handful of times where this is what stabilized somebody being able to have that. So, and it's happening. I mean, that's it's turning up inflammatory signaling pathways at that deep of a compartment space. And so I you can kind of postulate that's happening even in, in less little people as well. I think that is happening with my patients. Like people feel better. And it's not because they took a medication, they were exposing themselves to pressure and oxygen. Um, so really, really powerful and safe modality to employ. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm excited to integrate that more with my patient care as I get to work with you and learn from you more. And um, no, it's such a great tool. So switching gears, Eric, from tools to diet. So how do you use nutrition to really support patients and not just as a you know, foundational practice, but therapeutic strategy as well. Mm-hmm. Food is medicine, and it's there's nothing more foundational than what you put into your body, and also what you do with your body. Mm-hmm. And those things are different. A while ago, my mentor he, he talked about how he was using the context of you need a you need a diet and exercise in order to change your life, right? And we say that as if it's like one word, just diet and exercise. It hits the consciousness and we like diet and exercise. Um, yeah. But diet as, as a separate thing really can get really intense and complicated and confusing. The same thing can happen in exercise regimens, but in diet, when you're using it therapeutically, the one thing that I'm telling my patients if they're employing a therapeutic diet is that it's a therapeutic diet. It It's not natural. It's not supposed to necessarily be something that you do for life either. And sometimes the diets that you can employ can be rather extreme. They do not look natural. They're not what you ate when you were five years old or what your parents ate when they were, you know, in their thirties. It's very precise. It's cut and dry and it can be very limiting sometimes depending upon what type of diet we're employing. And the hope is that by utilizing this therapy, you get to again, kind of a different strata of, of feeling well. And hopefully you have greater energy, your symptoms have improved, and potentially you have greater tolerance to food. And so you can bring back certain foods. So when I'm employing a, a therapeutic diet, and we can talk about which ones I typically am using, I will talk about that. <laughs> they, um, the reason I bring this up is because a lot of people will say that it, it almost goes into almost disordered eating territory whenever you're employing some of these. And when I hear that, and the goal is that you don't stay there in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, and so if we can get through that place and get you to a new normal with your health, then you don't fall into that category anymore. You have a little bit more flexibility with what you can put in. And mm-hmm. th- th- that's always the goal for me. The role that they play is, oh my goodness, there's so many diets to employ. I mean, I put people on vegan diets. I put people on carnivore diets. I put people people on autoimmune paleo, on vegan ketogenic diets. I put people on low oxalate diets. That's a fun one, a really helpful diagnostic tool. Um, Diet. 
And, and there's a time and place for all of these. And some of it can be aided by lab testing as well, which is really interesting. Um, and most of it is based around eliminating triggers, just known triggers, whether that's triggers to your metabolism, such as in the case of like a ketogenic diet. If you just are carbon tolerant or you having a high sugar diet is not appropriate for you based upon your disease processes, then we figure out you having a lower carb diet. If yeah. you are lectin sensitive, if you are having autoimmune flares, you doing an elimination type diet or a paleo type diet is potentially going to be really powerful for you. Um, if you have something like a neurological condition or your family history is, has Parkinson's maybe, um, lectins potentially maybe shouldn't be a part of your diet because they're so closely linked as being um, contributory towards the degradation of your substantial migraine in that condition, for instance. And then some people, um, uh, the reason I employ carnivore diets is just because uh, a low-fat FODMAP diet, which is what we normally use for patients with sometimes irritable or SIBO, um, is the most unintuitive diet in the world. <laughs> have, you, have you looked up the, the low-FODMAP foods? It's, it's really hard to figure out how to do that. And some people get really good at it, but even still, they're not making headway. And so it's like, what happens? You, you bloat when you have carbs. You bloat when you have fiber. To me, it's the quintessential doctor problem. You go to your doctor and you say, hey, doc, it hurts when I do this. <laughs> you just go, well, stop doing that. <laughs> you, can't, you can't tolerate fiber sometimes. There is a spectrum of the population that really does not do well with that. And yeah. there's a whole bunch of reasons why that is the case. But you are going to continue subjecting yourself to that because you think that you're supposed to have a high vegetable diet. And that's partly societal conditioning. But if you employ a high meat diet with minimal vegetable fiber, could you make progress? And I'm going to track you and monitor to make sure that your inflammation is being haywire, that your lipid profile is still under control. And so I put people sometimes in carnivore diets because I've seen them be kind of life-changing for people, really massively improving their quality of life, their Skin gets better, their pain goes away, their fibro massively lessens, they're not constipated, they are not having diarrhea, and they feel full all the time. They don't crave carbs. Like there's a whole host of benefits that are associated with that. And I personally done it as well. And it's it's difficult, but you get to a point where it's okay. And then yeah, so there's 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 a time and a place, I'm saying, and, and everybody truly is unique when it comes to food. Oh, yeah, and I, I love that. I mean, I think there's like you know, I think what happens with the nutrition world, right, is that we try to say, oh, this is the best diet, you know, and everyone should be on this diet. And then we lose sight of the individualization that people need and lose sight for there's a time and a place maybe for a variety of strategies. I'm a big believer in, you know, health is resilience, right? So, um, you know, that we should be able to, you know, for most of the time, eat towards our constitution. So meaning kind of what we're probably our blueprint and what we're kind of genetically and epigenetically most um, geared towards um, food wise. And then, um, and then life happens, hey, you want to go out and have a piece of cake or have some french fries one night or whatever, like that's not your everyday experience. But every now and then, um, you should be able to enjoy life and the energy of that experience. And that shouldn't like, 
take you down for three weeks, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like yeah. you know, having <laughs> kind of, you know, that, that's my goal for, you know, patients not to have to, you know, live a, you know, a life where there's so much restriction for so long. And I see, I think we both have been in that experience, right? Where, you know, God bless our patients, right? That have, they've been, you know, doing the best they can and really in this control space around nutrition to try to mitigate side effects and things like that. But, you know, that that's not sustainable, right? So how do we, how do we treat them? So no, I, I, I think you have a really great perspective to add there. So, you know, when we think about your perspective and all the things that you've learned so far in practice and about your own health, you know, I, I love this question. And so I, I would like to ask you, so if you've had a sure $2,000 budget, hey, maybe the government will get kind to spend on yourself. How would you use it? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I don't know. I'm re- I feel like I'm revealing a lot about myself. <laughs> so, I mean, it's obviously going to be a lot. Yeah. We're, we're talking about that. So that's what it's going to be geared towards. But yeah. I would absolutely purchase a hyperbaric machine. Yeah. Hyperbaric machines, they're, they're quite a bit of moolah up front, but you can rent these yeah. individual units for several hundred dollars a month. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I encourage some patients to really consider doing that if they have mm-hmm. the wherewithal, if they had their extra $2,000 a month to invest in their health, because it's an investment in really your whole family's health. Um, mm-hmm. Hyperbaric is something that kind of everybody can do. You know, it's, it's also good for just general wellness, it's the worried mm-hmm. well and for elite performers in life too. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow a handful of celebrities on my Instagram. They will sometimes have like Instagram lives inside their hyperbarics. Oh, wow. <laughs> How nice for them because they're trying to do it for anti-aging purposes. I mean, and, and when you do it consistently, like you do feel better, you recover faster. I think it's a little factoid. You're the Seahawks, the Seattle Seahawks went to the Super Bowl just most recently was the year that they employed hyperbarics with all their players. And that wow. is correlation. I'm not saying it's causation, but okay, I was just but nothing for them. Yeah. <laughs> that. And you have these, you know, these high budget NFL teams who have these poor units and they travel with them. They're doing them after their practices inside their hotel rooms. It's it's become part of their lifestyle. And incorporating that, I think, into people's lifestyle um, could be very beneficial. So that's one. Mm-hmm. So that gives me about twelve hundred dollars. So the other thing that I do um, is uh, intravenous therapies. Um, so for my athletes, I'm giving amino acid infusions and intravenous poly MBA. These are mitochondrial therapies. These people, these higher performers, they, they need energy. And so incorporating that is a piece of it. And you don't have to do that that often to get kind of the sustained benefit where people are like, I feel more resilient. Like I don't need to nap at the end of the day. Or I don't feel like I need to nap, even if I have to go forward. Or I don't feel like I need my coffee first thing in the morning. Like that's kind of a huge deal for, especially our society. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I I adore and love um, is floating. I love it too. Yeah, I love floating. Oh, mm-hmm. Just take me away. Just take me away. Um, mm-hmm. I do this. Uh, I, I did have a membership a while back. I recently canceled it and COVID ruined everything. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> and I would do one a month at the very beginning of the month. And I would do my own meditation inside of a float tank where I would just kind of go through Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I would just think, what is shelter right now? What is my home? What is oh. that like? What's my home like? How do I feel about my environment? How do I feel about 
I'm nourishing myself? How do I think about my community? How do I think about my career? How am I self-actualizing? And mm-hmm. after, you know, a 60-minute period of you resetting and getting stock of your life, you're like, I need to go for the rest of the month. You're setting intentions. So I love that. I'd love to be able to do it more consistently. Timothy Ferris has this thing where uh, he likens doing floating to, you know, if you do it consistently, like every day, like or three times a week for two weeks, it gives you the mental benefit that like an entire year of meditation. Mm, I uh, bet. Yeah. I think that is true. I'm a meditator. I sometimes meditate for two to three hours a day. Um, I can't really do that every day, but yeah. there's, wow. there's a period of my life where I did that every single day for a month Wow. Um, in May. And by far the most amazing thing I've ever done. I highly recommend everybody does that. Yeah. Um, if you want tips on how to meditate, <laughs> please talk to me. Yeah. The slog <laughs> doing it for that long. Yeah. Um, but um, so that's my budget's probably about five hours left now. Um, <laughs> so what else would I do? Probably get a facial. Yeah. Um, taking yep. care of your skin is so important. And how we present ourselves to the world, I think just for self-confidence reasons, that's something that I would do. And then supplements. <laughs> so I probably have like a, a, a running 200, 300 dollars that I just spend on new things. Every yeah, single totally. Every single month it's a new thing to try. So that's totally. what I'm probably to do. I know, I know. We're, um, you know, being um, part of this industry, right? I think we all have that place in our kitchen that's just in a a supplement explosion. Yeah. So, no, I I hear you. Those are really great. Yeah. I know, know, right? Um, No, great tips and things. And I I think it's like as we, you know, like the silver lining of COVID, I think people are, you know, taking their health more seriously. And I, I, you know, I hope that you know we're sharing from this empowering perspective, like there's so much we can do to create resilience within our system. And um, there's so many treatments to keep us strong and healthy and of course, from recovering from a chronic illness, but also to keep us resilient with whatever stresses come our way. And I, I do think there is going to be more and more you know, connection with having more tools at home, you know, for people to, you know, do. And um, I think, um, yeah, all of these are great tips. So Eric, and kind of like wrapping up that we've are, you know, only worked together for a short amount of time, but I have already experienced um, you as not only a, a brilliant physician, but you have a really big heart, which I think is just such a wonderful combination. You know, I, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm so I'm excited for you to continue to um, be on the team and see patients. And so as people kind of hear you speak, we would love to hear just yeah about a patient experience that really touched your heart or anything from your, you know, patient experience that really um, helped you change your practice. Yeah. So this, this story is about a patient who unfortunately passed away. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of those, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, it was uh, a patient. She had stage four breast cancer. She was in her late forties and you would just, you'd never know. She was just the brightest, like she just cared so much about being a mom. She was a high powered executive in a chemical plant, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. um, which I think had a great deal to do with the reason why she developed her cancer. It was one of those pieces where appearances are so deceiving. You have no idea how sick somebody can be. And this is something that I know you experience with your patient population. It's something we hear from our patients about silent silent illnesses or invisible illnesses, rather, um, that people just don't appear. And the piece with her is that almost internally, I didn't want to believe that she was going down, that it was going south, but it was it became very apparent way too fast um, and way too late. 
I was, I was just a technician at the time. I wasn't managing her care, but I was seeing her every day. I was interacting with her. I was at her table, at her bed, um, at her chair when she was receiving all of her infusions. And she changed my practice because I, I realized how valuable a support system is. And I feel like her support system was really not there. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those pieces where we kind of finally had a come to Jesus moment where it was a discussion about like, what's it like at home? And um, she was like, nobody believes that I'm sick. And mm-hmm. I think I'm wasting my time and my energy by being here, by doing these things. And there's a financial argument that's in place. And it's just, it's just hell at home. We, we just don't see that. We don't see that when people leave the office, we don't know what they're going home to. And it made it a huge piece of my practice now that if you're going to be putting forward your best effort with your patients that you kind of need to know what's going on at home. Mm -hmm. Sounds really intrusive, but everybody has to be included if we want the same outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, I talked about this in a conversation we had about radical remission, about how really your environment dictates everything. And this is so true even in other illnesses, um, that there is a mental, emotional, relational, environmental component to illness that is as important, if not more important, than things that you do with your body and things you put in it. And sometimes that's what needs to change. And so if somebody is not progressing the way that I think they should, uh, that's a huge sign to me. Mm. There's some conversation we need to have. Mm-hmm. We need to bring the whole family in. Maybe something needs to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and starting to take those pieces about people's health more seriously is, is really what that taught me because it just became clearer and clearer, but it all happened way too late. And and she didn't deserve that. So a bit heavy, but yeah. no, yeah. but no. Yeah, no, and thank you for sharing that and these you know, heart wrenching moments, right? And these experiences like, you know, we have to, you know, learn from them, right? And they I believe are also part of the gifts that that person's experience is giving us to be better doctors and really change you know medicine and I think again where you and I are aligned is that you know I I just think we can do so much more right um to help Mm -hmm. people heal and think one day hopefully in our lifetime right that we will have you know hospitals that you really want to go to and that have you know these you know these treatments that we just shared you know and that they're not you know, siloed in these, you know, alternative offices or in your home or that, you know, this is accessible to, you know, more people with, of course, um, the support around that, not only emotional, but financial support eventually, you know, as well. So we just, you know, I have to keep, you know, doing what we do and seeing who we see and in the hopes of that unfolding, you know, um, and, you know, I know that um, we have a shared commitment to that, which is exciting and, you know, people will, um, continue to learn from you. I'm definitely going to drag you on the podcast again as we, you know, while work continue to work together. But any any clean words of wisdom, I would love people to also um, know more about how um, to find you and work with you if they're um, interested in um, seeing you as a patient. Yeah, absolutely. So I am obviously here at Eminence alongside Dr. Chapter. So if you, you want to uh, hear from me, you can call into our number. Um, it's attached, I'm sure, to this podcast. And um, you can schedule with me. I, I am accepting patients right now. Um, and slowly, for, not slowly, it's actually been pretty, pretty busy here. <laughs> so, so we're getting, we're getting 
And um, uh, so, yeah, you can contact me through there, through Eminence. Uh, I also have a private practice in Bellevue, Washington. That is another space. So I'm, I'm doing kind of many of the same therapies. I don't have uh, access to you know, the laser or Dr. Schaffner over there, but I'm also seeing patients over there. So if you're on the east side, you can see me. And then in addition to that, also I'm a teacher at Bastyr University Center for Natural Health. And so I'm a clinical supervisor supervising IV therapy over there. So that's a great option for if you, if you want to be part of a team environment and learn with students, um, they're always looking for people to poke. <laughs> so they need it and they need the experience and we'd love to see you over there. I have a social media presence. So I have Facebook and Instagram. Everything is just Dr. Eric Chen, all one word. D-R-E-R-I-C-S-C-H-O-E-N. And so I am on there. And then, of course, um, just a podcast that we're going to keep putting out and different webinars. Um, so expect more content. From yeah, absolutely. No, thank you so much, Eric, for being part of the podcast today and sharing all your wisdom with everyone who's listening. And, um, you know, I will have all of that information in the show notes if people want to learn more about Dr. Shane and have a beautiful evening, whoever is listening at this, whatever time zone you may be in. So <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right. I hope you really enjoyed my conversation today with Dr. Eric Shane. And if you'd like to become a new patient of his at Eminence Health, please check out our website and you can do a consult to see if he is the right physician for you. So again, thank you so much for listening today. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. <laughs>